Welcome to CTSNet to Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTSNet2Go. In this podcast, you will be exposed to one of the roundtables that will show you what surgeons today are talking about. Welcome to the series of CTSNet roundtable discussions. My name is Leanne Harling, and I'm here at STS in Phoenix with three eminent surgeons in the field of minimally invasive thymoma. I thought perhaps we could start by introducing ourselves. Hello, I'm Joel Dunning, surgeon from uh, Middlesbrough in the UK uh, with an interest in uh, minimally invasive uh, thymectomies. I'm Suga uh, Fujita Health University, Japan, and uh, I'm going to talk about the uh, minimum invasive thymectomy using a subthyroid approach. Thank you. Hi, I'm Blair Marshall, thoracic surgeon, Washington, D.C., at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. And I, like my panel, uh, have an interest in minimally invasive th uh, thymectomies. Thank you. I thought perhaps we could start by talking about how we've seen the surgery for uh, thymic malignancies or thymic tumors evolve over the last sort of decade, the shift between um, open and minimally invasive approaches. What kind of proportions are you doing open versus minimally invasive these days, Dr. Marshall? Um, well, I think, you know, for there's uh, four thymomas in mediastinal tumors versus non-thymomatous myasthenia mm. gravis. And I think actually the majority um, perform thymectomy for non-thymomatous myasthenia minimally invasive. And I, I think that as you move into um, thymomas and tumors, um, it has to do with the surgeon's level of comfortability. In our practice, we've continued to sort of push and push the limits on uh, what can be done minimally invasively. And, and pretty much unless there's obvious vascular invasion, I start most cases just with a camera and just see what we can do. So I would say that uh, pretty much probably 90% of what we do is done minimally invasive now. Dr. Sue? Yeah, um, endoscopic thymectomy has developed uh, over the past decade. And uh, I think the uh, advent of the robotic surgery and the development of the subxyphoid approach is important. And uh, I think the uh, robotic surgery make the uh, complicated operation easy and the uh, development of the instruments such as the vessel sealing device uh, make the single pole thymectomy possible. So I think the development of the engineering uh, had uh, a major impact on surgery uh, in Century. And uh, I think 90% um, of 
to 95% of the thymoma is performed by vats in my institute. Thank you. Thank you. In, in 2012, we changed from stenotomy to VATS thymectomy, and, uh, and we just vastly increased the number of people suitable for surgery. Prior to, prior to that, small mediastinal masses were being watched and observed, and they waited that they were large enough uh, for, for biopsy. And we've uh, been able to transform that and actually allow those people to, to have diagnostic and therapeutic uh, intervention uh, much, much earlier. And then when people saw the benefits of of, of VATS thymectomy over stenotomy, then, then suddenly this group of, of, of myasthenics who weren't previously being uh, put up for surgery because people felt in the UK it was maybe a little bit too invasive having a stenotomy for a young 18-year-old uh, were then coming for surgery. And so, so actually out of all the endoscopic operations that I do, thymectomy is the one that's really exploded because of converting from stenotomy to VATS. Thank you very much. With the VATS approach, I think there's lots of different ways of patient positioning, unilateral versus bilateral. What are your feelings on how you go about your VATS, VATS thymectomies? Um, it, again, it'll depend on the indications. For me, for non-thymomenous myasthenia, um, typically I will come from the left side. And the reason that I like that approach is because um, it really allows you to get an excellent view of the aortopulmonary window and get that fat pad all the way down in the window. I've tried subxiphoid, I've tried right side. Sometimes I'll put an extra port in the right side, but uh, for the most part, for myasthenics, I approach it from the left side. I, yeah, because uh, before I explain about the indication of the subxiphoid approach, I explain about the, the three types of subxiphoid approach. Um, I reported single pole thymectomy using a subxiphoid approach and dual pole thymectomy, uh, which is similar to single pole thymectomy, but involves the addition of a port in the fifth intercostal space to improve the maneuverability. And uh, I reported the trans subxiphoid robotic thymectomy using a Da Vinci surgical system for the advanced tumors. And uh, the, in those subxiphoid approaches, uh, camera is inserted through the subxiphoid incision. Uh, the operative field similar to that in median stenotomy, enabling the good visualization of the neck area and both phrenic nerves compared with the lateral approach. So uh, single pole thymectomy is indicated for the uh, cases with no infiltration of the tumor. And uh, the cases, uh, in the cases where the infiltration of the pericardium, uh, dual pole thymectomy or Robotic thymectomy is appropriate, uh, uh, appropriate uh, because of the uh, requirement of the suturing. So I think suturing is possible by the uh, single pole technique, but uh, it's difficult. So I think the 
robotic thymectomy or dual pole thymectomy is appropriate. And uh, the, in the cases uh, where the infiltration of the vessels, I think it is standard to perform a median stereotomy. Thank you. I like trying different things. <laughs> I've tried a bit of everything, uh, and uh, and I certainly encourage surgeons to go and look at uh, all these excellent videos. I've I've seen both your videos, and and I think the most important thing is to decide what is the most important thing to you in this particular operation. So myasthenics need everything out. Uh, if you've got a thymoma uh, and a few other conditions, you really want to get up into the neck, and so and then the problem with a lateralized approach is always the opposite phrenic. So so everyone has. Uh, each one has its pros and cons. Uh, I certainly encourage anyone out there to, to try uh, lots of different approaches before you hone down on yours. So, so, and currently my favourites are sort of two five mil ports, either on the left or the right, and then a subxiphoid approach. And towards the end, exactly as you say, if you get your camera in the middle, you can look right up into the neck and then use Blair's excellent advice on her videos about exactly how to get uh, those superior poles out because uh, that's when we'll really have equivalence uh, to the open approach. Uh, and, and that is the thing that we have to make sure that we're doing the same thing as, as open. We don't want to be taking shortcuts, especially in, in myasthenics that are young and have got the rest of their life ahead of them. Dr. Marshall, do you want to tell us a little bit about your tips for uh, ensuring complete resection in the neck particularly? Uh, so, <clears throat> and just to comment on the um, sub-xiphoid incision, on the, uh, when I do a left side, I, I put one of my ports very far, you know, almost the mid clavicular line so that with an angled camera you can go up over on that right side and look down at the phrenic. So you can get that view with a, if you're using an angled camera. And then to get the neck to open up, and this is possible in the majority of patients, although I, occasionally I've run into a patient who has very large clavicular heads and that can be more challenging to work around, but I like to use a lot of um, CO2 insufflation and that allows that space to open up in the neck. Um, I always leave the neck prepped in just in case because I think that we should not ever compromise the operation. And I think there's a feeling that when you use VATS, you're not doing the same operation as open, whether it be for lobectomy, esophagectomy. But I don't think that that's actually what we would agree on in that I do the same operation that I'm doing open just with the under camera guidance. And that camera allows you to see a lot more actually that you can if you were just looking down on the patient. Prior to the VATS approach, I used to do a transcervical approach and I didn't like it because it didn't allow you to see the AP window that well. Um, I think with the CO2 insufflation, that's another tool that if you don't have experience with to start adding into your armamentarium. And although there can be some hemodynamic changes with the pressure insufflation in the chest, as you become more and more familiar and comfortable using it, you can even in select patients raise that pressure up. And so sometimes if I can't see up in the neck quite well, instead of, you know, I usually keep the pressure at about 10 millimeters, I'll increase it to 12 or even sometimes 15, just to get that view. And, and some surgeons sort of ask me about little tips sometimes using single lung isolation. And I just I just don't use that anymore because you want both lungs fully inflated and then you want to crank up the pressure as much as you can with the CO2 because it's all at the front. The lungs are going to be well out the way and get both pleuras widely opened uh, and then use that CO2 to get the good view. It's transformational 
it's, uh, it's virtually not possible to do the operation without CO2 unless you're going to have hooks uh, which, which are occasionally used. So. Dr. Sudo? Yeah, I usually use uh, the, oh, sorry, the CO2 insufflation is essential for my subtyphoid approach and uh, I perform the CO2 insufflation at 8 millimeter of mercury and 8 millimeter mercury displays the lungs and pericardium and open up the space behind the uh, sternum. And uh, I think 80 millimeter of mercury uh, is not avoid the ventilation. So uh, we don't need any lifting uh, the sternum. So I think the CO2 insufflation is very a uh, good method for the surgical exposure. Thank you. How do you feel that devices have transformed um, the minimally invasive resections over the last sort of few years, particularly as more things are becoming available? Is there anything particular that you like to use that you find facilitates surgery? For me, I'm enormously dependent on bipolar sealing devices. And as you mentioned, I think it's transformed this and thoracic surgery, I, I can't remember our last Kyle leak for any operation. And so um, there's no bleeding in these patients, which allows us to not even leave a chest tube. And then those patients can even go home earlier. And so I think it's just amazing. Um, I don't know what your experience. Uh, yep, yeah, so bipolar energy is brilliant. Uh, I've started using robots, <laughs> which uh, is a great device. Uh, and, uh, but really, I mean, thymectomy is not, in standard size thymectomy, is not the world's most difficult operation. That's the thing. If you get good vision, good CO2, you know, you, you don't need a whole lot of equipment. It's, it's, it's a cheap operation. My, my managers love it because, you know, no staplers. So, mm -hmm. so actually, you know, good vision and good technique sort of is, is doing really well. And how do you manage the uh, veins draining from the anomnet? Uh, so so uh, I sometimes have uh, bipolar energy, uh, sometimes I clip. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but, but exactly, I love your way of, if we can get the drain out, they can go home the same day. So, so it is absolutely vital to try and get them as dry as you possibly can, isn't it? Because if you can get that drain out immediately post-operatively, you've saved a day, haven't you? Mm -hmm. so. I usually use only the Ligasure Maryland type on the right hand and uh, one uh, grasping forceps designed for the single post surgery. That's two instruments, that's all. Mm -hmm. so, uh, and uh, I don't use clip, I don't use any stapler. Mm -hmm. So yeah, as yeah. he said, it's very cheap yeah. operation. And I think to sort of start to wrap things up, Talking about robotics, we've mentioned it a few times, how much, uh, what proportion of robotics are you all doing now and where do you see that going in the future? Do you think we're going to move more towards a completely robotic approach? Or? We, I love the robot, but uh, to get time with our robot is so challenging and I can just do it more simply with that. So, uh, but I think it's uh, you know, an incredible device and um, so I'll let you guys answer that. Well, certainly for myself, I've, I've used the robot a few times for exactly like you. It's time on the robot and it takes longer. So the ports are larger with the robot. And, uh, and as you said, it's a simple operation. So I use five mil only instruments and a 10 mil port to get it out. 
And so actually that's smaller incisions and probably a little bit quicker for them for most thymectomies. So, so uh, the future probably will be a robotic style uh, procedure, a uniportal robot that could bring arms out through a single hole. You'll be able to do everything then, but, uh, mm. but that's not here yet, but it's close. Yeah, I report is transubsidized for robotic thymectomy. And the subsidized the robotic thymectomy made uh, three centimeter subtyphoid incision and one centimeter uh, incision for bilaterally. And uh, that uh, transubsidized robotic thymectomy is indicated only for the advanced tumor because uh, uh, I think the single pose thymectomy using the subsidized approach is uh, most minimally invasive approach for the patient and low cost. So I indicated single pulse thymectomy for the uh, cases with no infiltration. But uh, some cases, uh, for example, if the patient and the tumor infiltrate to the pericardium, we have to uh, reject the tumor with pericardium and uh, we have to make suturing for the reconstruction of the pericardium. So uh, we have to use the Da Vinci system for the suturing. So I just performed only for eight cases so far. And, uh, but uh, I think it's very useful for the suturing in the narrow space by the multi-joint system of the dubbing system. So uh, in the future, uh, as he said, if we have single port robotic system, uh, can be developed. Uh, I'm looking, looking forward to use that system for the, my single port thymectomy. Well, I think we're kind of running out of time, but thank you very much for all of you for a fantastic discussion. Um, it's been really insightful, so thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for listening to CTSnet to Go, your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTSNet by subscribing to the YouTube channel at CTSNet Video, by following at CTSNet.org on Twitter, or by liking CTSNet's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CTSNet to Go. Have a great day.